All right, welcome back to the Move of Babel podcast. This week, it's myself, Colin. I'm joined by Nick. How are you doing, Nick? Oh, you know, just continuously thinking about uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and just all of the glories it's brought us. How are you on this fine day, Colin? I'm confused because I thought Justice was like blue or red or maybe even a, a dark black, but it turns out Justice is gray. <laughs> I can't believe that's a thing that we're going to have to talk about, but here we are on in March of 2021, year of our Lord. Uh, yeah, so let's just start with the with the low-hanging fruit. Um, so Justice League is, I guess this is the third cut of the movie. Um, I don't know if you could really call this a separate cut, as the only difference is it's uh, post-produced into black and white, um, which... I mean, Snyder's movies are very like grayscale to begin with, so I really don't see how this is going to make a ton of difference. But I also don't think this really serves much of a purpose other than to get people to stream the movie again, um, which I don't know. With a movie like this where everything is kind of spectacle and superheroes, I think you're kind of going to see dazzling colors and explosions and, and whatnot. And I just don't think black and white really augments that at all. Yeah, um, I avoided last week's pod because so I didn't have to talk <laughs> about Justice League. Well, I had other things going on, but <laughs> it was convenient for me. But one of the few things that, or there's many things that I have issue with in that movie, but one of the biggest ones was just how visually incoherent the movie already is. Like, I don't think, well, there are some really good moments in Zack Snyder's filmography of action. Uh, there's some really good stuff in his Dawn of the Dead, and there's other stuff in there that's kind of aged not particularly well because it's a lot of slow-mo but there's some stuff that looks really cool uh but with his justice league like i have no idea what's happening in a lot of the action scenes because there's so many parademons just flying all (laughs) over the place and there's like no like visual coherence going on like i don't like one action from one hero doesn't lead into something that's going on like somewhere else in the scene with another hero it's just like all over the place and things are flying all over the screen and it's already really hard and all black and like occasional like sprays of dark dark red (laughs) or something (laughs) like that so like a gray black and white or gray or whatever they want to call it version of this movie it just like i don't like would any frame like be able to be like looked at and you'll be able to understand anything that's going on (laughs) I, i don't think so i mean I guess I think it'll help the four three aspect ratio feel more <laughs> genuine, but yeah, I really there's just so much artistry going on in this movie. Other than the like hard hardcore DC people that are gonna watch it this week, I don't really see people being like, "Oh yeah, this is the definite way to view Zack Snyder's Justice League." Um, I mean, just stick to the the four hour colored version. Yeah, I mean, all of this is to serve like the the headlining the headline like grabbing thing of like hey we're giving Zack Snyder his vision back we're letting him have creative control and I feel like that's this is more of just pleasing um like the the dark fan base (laughs) that follows a lot of this stuff uh which is kind of like an entirely different conversation about fandom which I don't really want to get into (laughs) so um yeah, it's just, it feels like it's just please, it's kind of preaching to the choir. Just very trying to please them and make them feel cool and make this movie feel like important. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like in its themes, it's just like, it's just 
very bizarre. Like people use black and white as a stylistic choice to convey things about the movie itself, and this movie being black and white is just hilarious. <laughs> like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I think we've seen the similar movies. Uh, I I say similar very loosely, um, but we've seen other movies of this kind of scale um, go with the black and white approach. So the the big two that that really come to mind for me are uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which did the Blood and Chrome edition. Um, I think it was a few years after release. Um, and then Logan, um, the Blu-ray, I think, was standard with a black and white version of the film, um, which I have seen both of those. I think those movies, um, what sets them apart is with Mad Max in particular, even the the color version is dealing with a lot of similar color structures um, because everything is pretty much brown for like half the movie. Um, but it's really the way that George Miller just uses the frame and uses the subjects in the frame and, and directs the action and, and everything. And it helps that a lot of that movie is practical, uh, which tends to film in black and white a little bit better than just turning something a different color in post. Um, and then with Logan, it very much fit the style of that kind of classic um, noir type anti-hero in that classic Western vibe that Mangold and just really that whole movie goes for. So it, it makes sense from a genre standpoint, whereas Justice League 2021 is just a superhero movie, right? There's there's nothing that really grounds it or gives it any connection to black and white other than the fact that, you know, Batman occasionally wears black and white. But yeah, I, <laughs> I just don't see the, the point. Yeah, and the other thing about those movies are that they take place with a lot of sunlight. Like you can see what's happening in those movies. And that also just tracks well with black and white. Like I said it before, but all, so much of this movie is just in pitch black. And like you really don't have to change much at all, honestly, for it to be black for it to be black and white. But the colors that are there kind of help you like discern what's happening even a little bit. Um so, I mean, I guess for people out there who love this stuff, have fun. But uh, <laughs> I will not be partaking. I, I sat through my four hours. Uh, I had a very weird, uh, occasionally fun, but ultimately strange time. Uh, and now I'm moving forward with my life. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all that needs to be said on <laughs> Justice is Great. <laughs> uh, but then we will touch on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So we are more or less through the first act. So this is a six episode series. Um, we're through episode two at this point, kind of have a vibe for what's going down. Um, I think I really liked this episode. I Don't get me wrong. I liked the first episode, but I think this one was much, much stronger. Um, I think we got a lot more of the like buddy comedy, lethal weapon, Hobbs and Shaw vibes between Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I'm still not as crazy about this as I was with WandaVision. Um, and there's a particular issue that I'll, I'll touch on after you've talked a, a little bit about it as well, but I kind of like where it is. Like, it's fun. It's just kind of that sweet, sweet Marvel formula. Um, just giving it back to us. Yeah. I'm happy we're talking about this after episode two, cause I feel like after episode one, I would have just come on here and said, ah, oh, this move, this is, or this tv show uh, is very very fine it's just right down the middle marvel stuff marvel doing marvel uh spies things like that fun but like nothing crazy uh, but i did really like the second episode as well and i think it touches on a few interesting ideas that i hope that the rest of these episodes continue with because um i guess we'll go into spoilers a little bit but there's the 
the one scene where uh, Bucky takes um, Falcon to Baltimore and he introduces him to this uh, black super soldier that, that I think what they squared off Bucky and him squared off in what Vietnam, right? And it's like Korea. Like, yeah, like they were like these. Both of them were like these mythical beings that like just destroyed everyone in their paths, and then they finally fought together. And there's kind of a cool backstory, but he's just been chilling in Baltimore because the like basically the government just failed to recognize him and put him in jail for a really really long time and i think with the idea of succession that this movie that they're i keep saying it i keep calling it a movie but (laughs) but this show is kind of hinting at where it's who's going to pick up the mantle of captain america Uh, i think it does speak to um some really interesting ideas about um Anthony Mackie as a black superhero and his place with the government itself. I think there are some really interesting things that hopefully this continues to play with. And um, race is definitely like uh, not even an undercurrent. It's very much on the surface of this story because right after that scene, you have the running with the cops who are very willing to arrest uh, Falcon until they realize that he is Falcon (laughs) and they back off immediately. So um, I'm hoping that because Marvel is... We've, I've talked about this a lot where Marvel is very much about itself, but I hope that it continues this, these themes because I think that could lead to some really interesting stuff, especially when you have um, Wyatt Russell, who I really like as <laughs> fake Captain America. Uh, but it's, he is like the, like the, the former uh, military dude, like super um, like kind of like the beacon of what we, of like what we think of as like, Oh, he's truly American. He's just like this white dude who is in the military. He has morals. Um, and we just kind of, we just kind of elevated him for no reason, even though uh, Falcon's right over here and is like fought in intergalactic wars. <laughs> so um, I think there's some really interesting stuff that I hope that this continues with. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's really fun. Uh, Bucky and Falcon are really fun together. I really like. I mean, one of my favorite parts of Civil War is just when they're chilling in the car, <laughs> and Bucky yells at him to move his seat up, and he's just like, "No, <laughs> this is really funny." And it, this feels like an extension of that. So um, I think I like it so far. I'm waiting to see where how they land the ship here, but I'm like, I'm feeling pretty decent so far. Yeah. Um... I think it's a little untimely to make ship jokes. Uh, just give me a right now. Um, but I did. So, so first off, I want to say that this episode was really funny, um, which is one thing that I really enjoyed. Like there's a really good exchange. Um, I think it's right when they get to Baltimore and this kid's like, Oh, you're black Falcon. And then Falcon's like, yeah, no, it's just a Falcon. <laughs> he's like, no, my dad said, he's like, okay so would you be black kid and then, <laughs> um so there was stuff like that and there was like a good wakanda joke about bucky um yeah but, white wolf yeah <laughs> um but as far as um touching on race goes to me it feels like they're really pulling their punches and it may be that we have four episodes to go and they're gonna land those a little bit later on uh but in particular that that scene when they're in Baltimore and they are getting stopped by the police and they're getting ready to arrest Falcon. I feel like it just kind of magically goes away. Um, They're like, the guy goes to his car, they figure out he's Falcon. They're like, Oh, actually Bucky's coming with us and everything's cool. And then we just kind of cut that tension without any real resolution and then move it on to another uh, like group therapy scene. 
And so, so there's that element to it. And I feel like they kind of did this a little bit in the first episode as well, when they're kind of touching on uh, Falcon getting the loan and trying to just like explore the way that uh, banks typically don't <laughs> lend many favors to minorities. Um, but I, I feel like they're, they're offering us the setup, but we have yet to see any real like payoff or any real discussion of what's going on. It's like, it's more of just like a basic acknowledgement, like, Hey, doesn't it suck that this happens um, without ever offering any commentary on it? So I'm, I'm hoping that it'll go that direction um, based on what they've set up. I think it probably will, but for the time being, it just feels like they're going a little soft on the issue. Yeah, I definitely agree. Cause it's, it's right. You're right. Cause they do kind of, they bring it up and they move on to the next scene. Uh, but yeah, I do think that, because they have brought it up in both episodes i think that it's definitely on the minds of the screenwriters and everyone else involved so my guess is they're going to take it someplace um and i think it's also interesting because there's been a lot of like scholarship about the marvel movies and how a lot of like their ethos is very right-wing and like pro-military and there's there's been a lot of writing about that that i find really fascinating and from the first episode, you think like, oh yeah, these guys are, these dudes are just working for the military. They're just going to go out and do all these missions and help the government. But I think the second episode does bring a lot more of that into question where it's like, oh, do they really care about us and specifically Falcon? Um, and are we just like their pawns and doing all of their dirty business where we can, we can operate outside the lines where they can't. Um, so I think there's definitely that undercurrent there that I think is really interesting. But um, yeah, I, I, I am like you, though, because like, you know, like we have like very radical terrorists, which I'm sure that they won't explore the depths of in this season. You know, what are they called? The Flag Smashers? Yeah. <laughs> is that what they're called? So there, are, there is a lot of stuff here that I am intrigued with, and I hope that it doesn't turn into Marvel uh, bullshit by the end, which it probably will. There's probably going to be some big fight at the end, right? But um for these two episodes, I think they've set up a lot of nice things. And it leads us to the third episode, which is they're going to go talk to Zemo, which I think is certainly going to take a lot of, it's going to put a lot of stuff into, um, like move a lot of stuff forward. So um, I think we're in a good spot right now. Yeah, and I think Zemo is one of the stronger MCU villains. Um, and we, we really haven't seen a whole lot of them. And we really haven't seen like the maniacal supervillain side of him. Um, like he's just Zemo um, when he's when he's in Civil War. So it'll be nice to kind of explore him a little bit further. And then you have just kind of all of the the side characters from Civil War coming into place. So um, like Agent Carter um, is there probably going to have some commentary about how her boyfriend left her for her aunt. Um, so we've got <laughs> <laughs> um... very strange, very strange. <laughs> We've got that coming in, um, which will be nice. So I definitely like where it's at. Um, and I, I think even if it does kind of fall apart into big battle at the end, I feel like it would feel more organic in this scenario as opposed to WandaVision, which is very much like grounded. Um, I mean, it's a sitcom for most of the time, but then it's like the last two episodes just kind of throw their premise out the window and big CGI showdown. Uh, but since combat and just kind of that sort of aggression is one of the main aspects of this show just it being two guys that sort of work for the military i feel like it flows into that typical marvel beat up a little bit smoother yeah this is a super masculine show just a bunch <laughs> of dudes being dudes um 
just uncomfortable with touching legs in their therapy sessions, you know, just, <laughs> there's a lot of alpha, alpha males in here, but, um, I think it's, it is fun. I really like Wyatt Russell too. He's always been, I mean, obviously he's Kurt Russell's kid, so there's a lineage there, but he's kind of flown under the radar, I think a little bit as an actor. And I like him a lot. He's, he's, I think he's really good when he pops up, especially in 22 Jump Street, which is like one of my favorite comedies ever. I think the movie's fucking hilarious. But uh, I think he's really good in here. Um, I'm just interested to see with this. And I think you're right with Zemo as well because he's just kind of a guy. Like, he's just there. He's, he's more of an ideology than, a, like, a supervillain, you know? And I think that's a little more interesting to me. Um, I think, like, a lot of people didn't like Zemo in Civil War, but I thought he was kind of cool for that reason. So yeah. uh, I think it's there's a lot of cool stuff here. I, I enjoy, like, I, I really enjoy Winter Soldier, and I really enjoy when Marvel goes a little more spy. Um, in their movies, I think there's something a little more, a little more tactile to it. And sometimes I struggle to like understand like um, when like wizards are like flying all over the place, or I guess sorcerers as they made the <laughs> distinction in this in this episode. So um, I think it's really cool. I like I like what I'm seeing somewhat. Nothing nothing crazy, but um, I've I've been entertained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't have many complaints. Um, but let's go ahead and wrap up superheroes with the suicide squad trailer the suicide squad the uh not the suicide squad trailer um <laughs> so this is the sequel reboot of 2016 suicide squad uh which i would like to point out also had a really strong trailer before being just an absolute trailer. this is very true this is very true <laughs> um but the difference is so DC seems to have been learning their lessons. Um, James Gunn has been very open about like how the process has been for him on Twitter. And supposedly he hasn't really had any, um, you know, any real pushback from the studio. Um, and this movie is also marketed as the fact that a lot of these characters are actually going to die, which when you look at just how many characters are in this movie, there's no way that that's not going to happen. Cause there's like 20 people um, listed at the end of the credits and they're all like, pretty recognizable people so i'm excited to see a lot of carnage um <laughs> and yeah the trailer just like sold me on that kind of weird uh off kilter james gunn vibe um it looks like rick flag who was kind of the main character in, in the last movie has gotten quite the the do-over um in this movie as much less self-serious military bro and is more like just hanging out with shark people <laughs> which i like <laughs> yeah, he's just reg he's just regular goofy bro now <laughs> um but i like what i saw like this was a strong trailer we got a lot of looks at just what seems to be kind of the core so that's harley quinn and idris elba's blood sport which is just kind of filling in for deadshot but hopefully will be interesting um and then rick flag and king shark who's taken over the memes um, I know I'm probably going to be a minority on this, but I like Jai Courtney. I'm excited to see Captain Boomerang come back. I like Jai Courtney <laughs> too. I'm glad we align on this. <laughs> He's a lot of fun. I don't like him in Terminator Genesis, but that's mainly because I don't like Terminator Genesis. But I like when he shows up in things. So I'm excited to see him not get cut out of uh, Suicide Squad. And then John Cena just looks like he's hamming it up as Toilet Bowl Captain America. Like there was just a lot to like about this trailer. <laughs> Yeah, Jai Courtney is really fun in this movie. Uh, it's called Buffaloed. Buffaloed, I think. It came out two years ago. It was Oli Deutsch's in it. It's really fun. I encourage people to check that one out. But uh, yeah, I'm in on this. I was a little nervous at first because, I mean, it's kind of 
rinse and repeat plot where it's like we're going to just inject things in your head again um and viola davis looks like she does not give two shits like she looks like she she would rather be anywhere else except this movie but um i don't know hope the paycheck was nice for her i guess so uh but everything else looks really cool uh john cena is quietly like an amazing comedic actor i feel like he plays really well with like he's like so massive and other than the rock where the rock is still like i'm awesome john cena is like no put it like i'll butt chug some beer like it's fine like i'm okay like i'm i'm okay like being goofy and making fun of myself and joking on my own masculinity which i i just think he's really fun and idris elba is great everything he's in Uh, i'm really happy to see margot robbie back with as harley quinn um and yeah we got stallone as the fucking king shark that's amazing There's going to be so many. I'm looking forward to all the memes that come out of this movie just because of him. It's there's already they're already going nuts, but especially after the movie comes out in August, it'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool because um, he was originally going to be in the first Suicide Squad movie, but David Ayer didn't want to do a fully CGI character, um, which is why we got the really racist King Sh- or uh, Killer Croc. Yeah, that um, was so it's great. N- it's nice to see him uh, get some get some weird justice <laughs> um, with this <laughs> and then uh we still don't know what ta- or who taika waititi is playing um i would imagine he's probably going to be playing starro who appears to maybe be the main villain which would be kind of cool but you know he's still out there um i'm really excited to see polka dot man uh because a polka dot man and <laughs> b-, <laughs> b because i really like that actor uh david desmalchian who yeah, he's is fun in, in everything he's in yeah he was in the ant-man movies um he was in the dark knight um he was in the dune movie coming out pretty soon like he's just fun and it looks like <laughs> he's just playing this really depressed polka dot boy uh <laughs> <laughs> in the suicide squad so i'm excited to see that who plays the do we know who voices the the weird cat uh that thing? is sean gunn james gunn's brother oh okay oh i love i love when he shows up he's fun uh, and it's like normally like annoying where it's like uh the guy cast his brother in this but in that case i really love sean gunn he's fun <laughs> but yeah then this movie just looks like it embraces its weirdness very much it feels like this is kind of what suicide squad should have always been where it's hard r goofy uh gnarly violent at times like you have king shark just slicing that dude in half and it just it's very bloody and there's guts flying all over the place and his spine's hanging out it looks like it's kind of like it's like a mix of superhero stuff and also like like a gnarly 70s and 80s action movie or just it's like a like a wild bunch like you get the or i guess it's, that's like in the 60s but you get the idea where it's just kind of like get this weird gang of people together go out and do this mission and then kind of go on with our with our lives it looks a lot of fun i'm excited yeah, and it's interesting because the first Suicide Squad, you can see where they very much saw Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014, and then we're like, no, we're making our Suicide Squad like this. Um, so it's cool that the guy that they were trying to imitate is now at the helm, um, and it <laughs> seems the studios left him alone a lot more than they did with David Ayer. Um, so it, it'll be nice to see, hopefully, just like the weird James Gunn chaos that suicide squad was always meant to be yeah and we always i think we always forget since he's been in like the marvel machine for so long but before that james gunn was just out here just being really weird and making (laughs) like very gnarly movies like have have you ever seen super 
I've uh, seen his, Slither, but not Super. Super is is it's it's an amazing marketing job where it um, it marketed itself as like the super quirky like street level crime movie where um, what's the guy what's Dwight from the Office's name what's the actor's name Rain Wilson yeah Rain Wilson I couldn't I don't know why I couldn't think of it but he stars as this schlubby guy who just yell who runs around yelling shut up crime and beating up uh, and beating up criminals and it looks like this really goofy movie and then the movie itself is like kind of like profane and disgusting and like really <laughs> awful and like super black comedy so um like he's just like he was just out here doing all this weird shit and then and then marvel was like here's 300 million dollars go make your movie <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of fun to see it's like this movie certainly looks like it's a blend of those two things where it's letting him just go nuts but also with a pretty decent budget so it's fun yeah, if you've never seen it, I would recommend James Gunn's PG Porn, uh, which is a bunch <laughs> of, it's a web series he did with his brothers, and like Michael Rosenbaum, who was Lex Luthor on Smallville, um, is in like a ton of them. I think Craig Robinson from The Office is in a couple of them, but it's just like, it's literally like a porno, but without any porn in it, and it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was just like, he was just out here just doing weird shit. It's it's amazing, <laughs> what a guy. Um, so that is, I say that's it for superheroes. But the next movie we're going to talk about is more or less a superhero movie, um, and that is Nobody, uh, which came out this past week. It stars Bob Odenkirk, um, and it is basically John Wick, but his wife is alive and he has a family, um, and it's it's definitely a lot more lighthearted and more like Kingsman in style. Um, but it's really good. So the plot, I think they slightly improve on like some of the logistics of the first John Wick movie, where basically uh, nobody goes out. He beats up a criminal's relative. The criminal gets mad and is uh, like, I'm going to turn the entire Russian mafia on you. Um, and that's the plot of this movie. Um, they do add like a little bit more backstory to the main villain um whose russian name i can't pronounce um and then they also <laughs> do you want to try for our audience here uh kuznetsov kuznetsov That's great. i can't you pronounce did, the actor's you, name either so you, you did great i'm proud of you <laughs> um so they do improve on things like that and i think they world build a little bit better than the original john wick does um in a smaller space uh christopher lloyd plays bob odenkirk's dad and he's just incredibly fun in like all three of his scenes um but this movie was really good like it's a it's only like an hour and a half it's a really good just like straight action movie um you just kind of get right into the action you don't ever really let off um bob odenkirk is punching things um i do like that his character in the movie is a lot more grounded like he gets hurt uh which you don't really see john wick do just a ton of in the first movie after after he gets knocked out he's still fairly invincible most of the time. Um, but you see you see everybody kind of get the floor wiped with themselves. It's a lot of fun. There are guns, there are explosions. Uh there's a car. Just just 10 out of 10. <laughs> there's a car? <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this movie at some point. Um it's an I am interested to see like how much of like the film zeitgeist this captures because it's in theaters. I think it's just in theaters, right? It's not on VOD yet. 
Yep. So I'm curious how many people actually choose to go out and see this movie. Because um, I think I'm just going to wait until VOD because it's playing around me, but, you know, haven't gotten that beautiful vaccine yet. So <laughs> I'm still chilling here waiting for my waiting for my day. But uh, I am interested to see because I feel like this was supposed to be like, I assume they're, they're setting up, they set up for sequels in this as well. So I assume this was supposed to be like a big, let's start another action, a fun action franchise movie. And I wonder if it gets the audience to do that. I mean, maybe, I think it's Universal that releases this. Maybe they see some numbers that are like, ah, this wasn't quite what we were hoping, but this does seem, this does make us think that this might do better in like a regular theatrical release in a few years when we make the second one, so we'll go ahead anyway. But um, I would like to see this. And it's, it comes from uh, Derek Colstead, who actually wrote all the John Wick movies. So that's what, so that, those, are, those are all your similarities right there. Um and yeah, Bob Odenkirk. He's, he's the best. <laughs> like, how could he not want to watch watch a movie with him in it? Yeah, and it, it does feel very much like someone was like, let's remake John Wick. Um, but they, they change enough, and they bring enough just originality to it. Um, this movie does stand on its own really well. Um, you know, it's it's got a fairly forgettable villain, uh, but Bob Odenkirk's character, Hutch, is a lot of fun. Again, I love Christopher Lloyd in this movie. Um, he's just he's just out there like cashing his paychecks at 80 however many years old he is um (laughs) and yeah it like it delivers on all the action it's only an hour and a half which just earns a star for any movie on its own um just chef's kiss is nobody yeah and it's yet another old dude does action movie which I feel like is I feel like what like Taken was the first one well not the first one but it was that started this wave of old dudes do, like murder people action <laughs> like you had all you have two equalizers in there and a bunch of others so uh, it's interesting this just keeps finding a way I wonder how long Bob Odenkirk would be able to keep all this up because he did he did, apparently he did a ton of training beforehand for this movie to make all of his action look believable but how old is he he's getting up there like I don't know could he do three movies like, I feel like who knows but good for him they got the movie made and uh it sounds like it's fun so i'm looking forward to seeing it at some point yeah and this doesn't appear like it's something that'll put an actor through the ringer quite like john wick would because it's not nearly as seamless um the action is still really good but it's more like post-produced and edited into being really good rather than like we have this brilliant choreography we're not going to cut at all um and so it, it feels like it's less taxing on him and probably gives more of an opportunity for stunt doubles to come in, uh, which is something that Keanu doesn't have as much of a luxury of. Um, so, so I feel like that's part of it, too, because, I mean, Bob Odenkirk is almost 60. So, yeah, it does kind of raise the question, can he really do this? But then again, Harrison Ford's going to be like 84 by the time Indiana Jones 5 comes out. So, <laughs> Do we think that's actually going to come out? <laughs> I feel like because uh, <laughs> Spielberg gets attached to so many movies, then he's just like, nah, just kidding. This movie's been rumored for five years, but I'm not going to make it anymore. Um, well, I mean, so James Mangold is taking the helm of it, and supposedly it's starting to shoot this summer, I believe. It's it's set to oh. come out next summer. Um, I really don't see there being an Indiana Jones 6, because again, Harrison Ford is going to be 80-something years old. Um, and, and I feel like the time to pass the baton would have been, you know, 13 years ago when Shia LaBeouf was ready. Uh, but I, I definitely don't see Shia LaBeouf getting handed the baton now. Um, and I, I don't really know where else you could go. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I do like that Mangold's directing it. I think it's definitely going to feel different than, you know, the the first four. Definitely different than the first three, but I'm excited for Indy. Yeah, why not? Who cares? <laughs> um, but yeah, that is Nobody and Indiana Jones 5. Um, and then we'll move on to the Movie Babble Club with an exclamation mark. Uh, so this week was my week to pick. Um, so we've, we've made our first full lap. Um, I decided to go with something I didn't really know existed um, until I just was like, you know what? I think Audrey Hepburn would be a cool person to watch this week. Um, so I went with the 1957 film Funny Face, uh, which stars Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire. Um, and this is a rom-com um, about a magazine photographer. I don't remember what the professional title for that is. It's like uh, quality magazine or something like that. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> something like that. Um, who ends up falling in love with one of his uh, new subjects. And, and Nick was talking about this before he got on, but it's basically one of those like girl takes off glasses. Oh my goodness. She's hot. Uh, scenarios. <laughs> um, so but before we really jump into it, what did you think just kind of generally about funny face? Yeah, it's so true. Cause there's like two songs in the beginning where like the, the song that uses funny face where it's like, ah, you're not that pretty, but <laughs> I like you. You got a personality. That's basically what they boil down to. So it's like, ah, oh, dude, this is Audrey Hepburn. She's like one of the most beautiful actresses ever, but whatever. Uh, I like this movie. It's fun. It's, it's very, it's very fluffy, uh, which I really enjoy from time to time, especially with, um, with like some of these more old, like classic Hollywood uh, musicals. They're just, very fun, and you get to sit back and watch a lot of beautiful colors. It's the exact opposite of Justice is Grey. <laughs> um, and then you get to watch uh, Fred Astaire just be a great dancer, and also Audrey Hepburn, which I didn't realize she was a really good dancer. But uh, it was really cool to see both of them play off to get, play off each other. And this is, I think it's the only time they were ever acted together, which is also kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's kind of fun. There are like some weird things about like Fred Astaire's like. 30 years older than Audrey Hepburn, right? Yeah. But, um, which is kind of tough, but it's the, like the production design is really cool. Uh, some, I enjoyed a lot of the dancing. Uh, it's just, it's, it's nice fluffy hundred minutes. Yeah. So I do want to touch on that point because it is really distractingly obvious to how much older he is than Audrey Hepburn in this movie. Oh yeah. Cause she's like, what? Like not even so 30. Yeah, he she was 28 when this was filmed, and he was 59, I think. So that's a 30-year difference. And I think part of it, too, is Fred Astaire. This is definitely, this is towards the end of his career. Um, and this is in full Technicolor, so you really see, see all of the wrinkles pop out. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also at the beginning of Audrey Hepburn's career, so there's just that time difference between how long they've been in the industry and just kind of, that preconception of them going into the movie but yeah it's it's very very noticeable um how much older than her he is um, yeah they, i do yeah go sorry go ahead uh, they don't ever really acknowledge it in the movie either um they kind of treat them like they're basically the same age yeah <laughs> <laughs> i do appreciate though because yeah you're right like this is kind of getting into the later stage of fred astaire's career he's definitely in the back nine at this point uh, so he's kind of like his his dance moves have slowed down a little bit. He's still an amazing dancer, but he's just not flying all over the place like he used to. It seems like 
uh, like a lot of this because you follow like the, the arc of his character which is just like wow i learned about empathy by the end of the movie because they talk about empathetic i can't even say it. it's like the empathy but an ism it's tough but <laughs> they like basically it's kind of there is a lot of that passing the baton from him to her and like that works also in life because i was obviously hepburn would go on to have an iconic career uh but in the movie itself where it's just like yeah you know what you're pretty cool i'm gonna bow down to you a little bit and let you do your thing and even in the dancing sequences he's kind of just letting her take the stage take center stage which is kind of cool in that sense so it's not i feel like they play like as well as a 30 year old 30 years old age gap could go i feel like this isn't the toughest that we've ever seen (laughs) in that sense but yeah it's it's still not uh that great yeah um i do want to point out that this movie is a quasi adaptation um of a musical by george and ira gershwin uh from 1927 that fred astaire was also in um playing a different character um and actually it's really only the songs that are kind of lifted from that play in this movie so it's a completely different plot um but it is cool to have just kind of that touch of history and cool to see somebody remaking their own career at that point um Fred Astaire making a movie that he made or that he started on stage 30 years earlier. It's Fred Astaire's ready player one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, True. (laughs) Um, But some things that I really liked. So, well, first off, I honestly can't remember a single song from this movie. I I don't think that the music really sold me on it. Um, None of these songs really stuck with me at all. I mean, they're kind of fun um, when you're in the moment. And I think the dancing is really good. Um, We'll touch more on just kind of the sets and the production design in a minute. But musically, this musical didn't really land with me a whole lot. Yeah, I like the pink song at the beginning. That song's fun. And it has just has like all they change everything into pink, which just makes it more recognizable and memorable. Uh, But yeah, I think you're right. We're in terms of the musical stuff in this movie. The best part of it is the dancing. Uh, I think my favorite scene is when Audrey Hepburn starts dancing in the cafe where she's talking to Fred Astaire and is like, I just need to express myself. And then she goes on like this very strange and also really cool dance sequence <laughs> with two other nameless French Frenchmen. Uh, and they just call it dance around. And my favorite part of that scene is the ending where she does her big, like she collapses. Cause she's like, Oh, like at the end of like, you see these at the end of all these musicals where they're, they do this crazy dance number and they like collapse because they're so tired at the end. And then she falls into the lap of like these two people having a conversation and they never break their conversation. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life where like they don't even like acknowledge that this woman just fell into their laps. Like if you watch the scene, she falls into their laps. They're having their conversation and the actors never break. Like they never even acknowledge she's there. It's like one of the funniest things. It's honestly one of the best, some of the best acting in this movie. It's those two <laughs> random people. <laughs> but I really love that scene. Um, it was really cool, and it shows just how talented and multifaceted Audrey Hepburn is. So that was yeah. my favorite part. Yeah, and I did really like that. Uh, I can't remember the title, but the Pink song um, at the very beginning of the movie. Um, and I, I think Pink is the name of it. And I just love the production design. Like, it's very, it feels very like, 60s magazine-ish even though you know the 60s were a few years off Um, but it very much fits that vibe of like the glamour magazine and 
and the models and, and, you know, just kind of that art scene, um, that art deco kind of feel, um, for the next generation at that point. And I really like just the way they're moving the set around and like people are popping out of pink doors and it's just like this nice big, almost like half rotundo with all these doors in the back. And I just really liked the production design of this movie as a whole. Like there are a lot of really creative sets. Um, and there's, there's one shot I want to talk about in a minute in the, in the cinematography of this movie. Um, but I really like what they did with the spaces they had. Um, and there's later, later on in the movie, there's a scene where uh, Fred Astaire's character is like climbing on Audrey Hepburn's balcony. Um, and he jumps down to the street below and, and does a little jig. Um, and I think that was really creative how they move him down into the dance number as well. And they also an amazing sequence where he like pretends to be like a bullfighter <laughs> and he throws, he throws his umbrella in a trash can and the throw is literally like 50 feet. It's amazing. Like it's like I, I locked onto a few of like these small little things in this movie where it's like, first of all, like that was all like in one shot. So he would have had to do the whole dance number over again if he missed the umbrella shot. Right. <laughs> I don't remember a cut in there. It was amazing. But then Later on, there's that raft that they use to cross the river multiple times. And I was just really impressed how they got it to like work correctly and not just flow down the river. Maybe there was some movie-making chicanery in there, but it was really <laughs> impressive to me. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I really like that part of it. And then I really like just what they do with lighting. Um, so I think the photo room probably sticks out is the most obvious because you're dealing with a lot of like artificial red light but just just the way they really immerse you in just kind of that whimsical world um through the lighting and and they also kind of further that you know art deco like new wave 60s art style um through a lot of the lighting on top of everything yeah and they have the the really impressive sequence in the middle where uh they're doing all the photo shoots by all the famous french like monuments and whatnot and they take the picture then it goes to like they do like a like an effect where it looks like it's going through the um, the dark room and all that stuff. And then like it goes, and then you see like the final picture itself. And it's really, really cool. And the colors are popping really interestingly. Yeah, it's the direction in this movie and like the art design, production design, all of that is just stupendous. That's why you watch this movie. Because after like, I feel like the the like the weird relationship stuff is mostly at the beginning. I mean, it's all the way through, but like all of like, he kisses her in the bookstore and you're like, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, like, and then it kind of mellows out and it turns into more of just like a travel log of Paris. And uh, yeah, Paris is like a, looks like a really nice city. <laughs> so it's just nice to just have them just travel around and just, there's the whole uh, dance number, the song and dance number where they're just like, oh yeah, I love Paris. <laughs> I'm an American and I love being a tar tourist in Paris and seeing all the wonderful things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, just, it, it, it was nice. It just, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And I, there's one shot in the light room, um, that I want to talk about in particular. And I believe this is when they're singing funny face, um, where, so Audrey, Audrey Hepburn is hiding from all of the, I don't know what they are like marketing women or I don't know. There's like a horde of women that are trying to like force her yeah. into being their, their new model. 
Yeah, are um, they like all the all the secretaries? Like, yeah, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> and so she she ends up running into the light room. Um, she has this little conversation with Fred Astaire. It breaks into the song "Funny Face," which uh, felt like a very, I guess, for some kind of Suicide Squad moment. Um, <laughs> um, but they so they do that, and there's a really really good shot at the very end of it where um, he's so he's projecting uh, one of his images onto the the blank. Uh, canvas on the wall and so he flicks that light on and it's I don't believe they cut in between the rotation but it just like perfectly illuminates her face against the backdrop in this uh, light room and it was just it was a gorgeous shot um, I just I love it what a picture yeah there's a lot of, a lot <laughs> of really cool what stuff. a picture <laughs> <laughs> there is, there's is a lot of really cool stuff that um they do in this movie uh, that is very impressive I, I think it's you watch this movie for the direction and how swiftly it moves through all the dance numbers because even in the dance numbers themselves like there are a few moments where it's just kind of like let's lock off the camera and have fred astaire dance in the middle of this really like big room but there are some other moments like especially in the cafe scene where it's really it's following audrey hepburn around and it's getting a little more there's a little a lot more movement in the camera itself which I thought was really impressive, and it just—it's just—it moves really nicely. Um, so it's just cool. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of fun little stuff in this. I found myself really impressed with the filmmaking of this movie, rather than like I—I I, I could care less about the romance. <laughs> yeah. But like all the filmmaking itself is really cool. It, it was definitely more of a craft movie than it was like, yeah, let me get really engaged in this story. <laughs> Yeah, I can't say I bought that romance uh, one bit, but hey, what can you do? Um, so yeah, that is that is Funny Face, and uh, my second pick for the Movie Babble Club. Um, but before we wrap up, I do want to want to ask the question that's on everybody's minds. Uh, so the matchup of the year that is going to save theaters uh, comes out this week. That is Godzilla versus Kong. Who you got? Hmm, it's a tough one. Uh, well, from I guess this is insider information, but from editing uh, Blake's review on the site, which you all should read, uh, it seems like the movie positions Kong as kind of the protagonist of the movie. Um, so I'm gonna go Big Monk. Yeah, so that's the choice. That's the choice here. I I'm not gonna shy away. I've been a Big Monk stan uh, ever since this movie was announced. <laughs> Here's the thing: if Godzilla drops something, how's he gonna pick it up? He can't. Great question. He has no opposable thumbs. He just has to like <laughs> palm it and hope it doesn't fall. If King Kong drops something, he's got opposable thumbs. He could pick stuff up even if he wasn't the one that dropped it. Like he's got that. He's got simian intelligence. He can make tools. Kong, uh, <laughs> he's king. And so I, I binged all these movies over the weekend. And the thing is, in both of Godzilla's movies, at some point, the monster completely beats him down, and he needs humans to, like, nuke him back to life. It happens in both movies. He needs humans to help save him. In Kong Skull Island, the humans take Kong down, and then he gets up, kills Samuel L. Jackson, and then kills the, the giant skull-crawler king and his children without any human help. All while he's holding Brie Larson in his palm without killing her. So, it's just Kong. There's no competition here. <laughs> I don't even. I don't need to say anything here. I'm just gonna keep let you keep going. <laughs> uh, big monkey. Uh, it's there's no contest. It's just big monk. I'm really looking forward to this. 
Like, uh, I know we just, I sat through four hours of the Justice League, but what I really wanted was Godzilla vs. Big Bunk. I just can't wait for all this stupidity. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is like, it's just, as someone who didn't really care for the last Godzilla movie, um, I could not be more excited to watch these two CGI giants just wail each other uh, on top of a boat in Tokyo. Um, I think they're at like a volcano or something at some point in the trailer. So I'm here for it. And then I think it's Hong Kong at the end turns into like a neon light show where it's like, sure, why not? This sounds amazing. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll check back in next week and, uh, just talk about how we, we both bet, uh, everything on Kong and we're right. Um, so yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for that. <laughs> big, big money on big monk for sure. Um, I want, I want Kong halftime Kong to cover. <laughs> um, but that is pretty much it for this week's episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. Um, so we'll be back next week talking about Big Monkey. Um, and, and really, what else do you need to talk about? Like, probably five hours just on that subject alone. Yeah, um, nothing else. Maybe Justice, Justice is Gray again. <laughs> uh, monkey is Gray. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really looking forward to Adam Wingard's... Um, yeah, Big Monk is Gray version, which will be coming on HBO Max in a few weeks. Really looking would, forward to that. Would it just be Monkey is Brown to be more character appropriate? <laughs> That's just sepia. <laughs> Why not? There's a lot of hidden themes in that color choice, as I'm sure you know. It's really artistic. Uh, but anyways, um, that was this week's episode. Remember, you can always check us out online at moviebevel.com. 